Welcome, everyone, to the Nix Infinite Playlist Podcast, a show where we always talk about something because something is always on. I'm your host, Nick Hogan, and with me with this week is a very special guest, Mary Masasi. Mary and I are both writers at Telltale TV. Mary, introduce yourself to the people. Um, yeah, so like you said, I work um, with you at Telltale. We, you know, write about television all the time. Um, when I'm not doing that, though, I take care of little kids. Um, which is why I need television to <laughs> my sanity. <laughs> <Through that. laughs> um, um, but yeah, no, um, I'm pretty straightforward. I don't have any like secrets in the closet or anything like that. So you say, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, that's fantastic. So Mary, are there anything, any movies or shows that have recently come out or that are coming out soon that you're excited about? There's actually two things I'm really excited about, Nick. Um, I feel like I'm one with everyone else in the world about this one, which is obviously Avengers Endgame. Oh, yeah. Um, I feel like the entire universe is excited about that. Definitely. <laughs> um, you know, I just, I want to know what's going to happen to all my favorite heroes. So, you know, um, anxiously awaiting that one. <laughs> yeah, same here. Um. And then the other one is, um, I'm a huge fan of the actor Noel Fisher. Um, I don't know if you know him. He's from He was on Shameless for a while. I um, do, but I'll tell you why in a minute. Okay. But, um, <laughs> so he has a new show coming up at the end of the month that I actually get to review for Telltale called The Red Line on CBS. And it's Great. based off a true story about a cop who accidentally shoots an innocent black man at a grocery store um deli type place and yeah and the whole like blow out over that so i'm excited to watch that because i think it'll be really cool and a very important for the times show to watch oh yeah that sounds fantastic um i'm looking forward to reading what you have to say about that yeah so the reason that i know noel fisher is not from shameless because i'm behind the times but have you ever seen the movie Max Keeble's big move. Um, dude, are you kidding me? That's where I first fell in love with Noel Fisher. So every time I see him now, I want to open my jacket and say, Troy McGinty. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I start singing the McGoogle song in my head and it's all just, uh, <laughs> I, I have a movie on DVD and it's, I'm, I have a set of obscure movies from the 90s and early 2000s that I'm obsessed with and Max Keeble's big move is one of them. I always liked the way that Max stuck it to the man. Um, and that's the only reason that I know who Noel Fisher, every time I see him in something else, I go, Oh, that's Troy McGinty. Uh, <laughs> and that's just, that's the way that my life is now. That's so funny that you like say that because I love Max Keeble's big move, but I feel like nobody else really does. Right. So it's like one of those treasures that I treasure, but other people are like, that's trash. And I'm like, <laughs> Says you. So my brother and I are the only ones I know who even know what that movie is. Every time I reference it or say something about it, or I say, have you heard of this movie? People just go, no. And I'm like, no, listen, it has the dad from Lizzie McGuire and the dad from T Things I Hate About You and, <laughs> and Josh Peck. Peck and, <laughs> uh, and, my, and my brain, I'm automatically just like, and Noel Fisher, um, right. one of the greatest Canadians to ever grace our 
TV screens. <laughs> so I'm always saying things randomly like, he moves, he fakes, Rangoon, think fast. And, <laughs> uh, you know, singing the McGoogle song and different. Oh, yeah, definitely. A lot of quotes from Robe, like, Rinky Stinko, he just made that up. Uh, <laughs> You know, God, so love that movie so much. Now I'm gonna have to go go. I say go home. I'm gonna have to like end this podcast with you and then go watch it. <laughs> I think you should. Um, so we may have gotten a little off topic here, but if you haven't seen Max Keeble's Big Move, you should find a way to watch it. It's an incredible jam. Definitely. So, one of the things that Mary and I have bonded over is our love for Supernatural. Uh, on more than one occasion, I have been rendered incapacitated and unable to complete my Supernatural reviews for Telltale TV, and Mary has covered for me graciously. So, we th- I thought that would be a good topic for us to talk about on our first time on the podcast together. So, first things first, Supernatural has announced that it's ending after season 15. How do you feel? Honestly, huh. so... I honestly thought I was going to be like super devastated because I've been watching this show since I was like, like 15, 14, 15, something like that. Right. And it's like been a big part of my life. But then when I like heard the announcement, I was actually like, okay, I I can live with this. Like 15 is a good solid, you know, run for a show and they had their ups and downs, but like, I feel like, this is their decision. They're like, all right, we, we should end it before we really destroy it. Um, and so I'm kind of at peace with it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, I think all things should come to an end. So I kind of have had that attitude lately about shows, um, especially CW shows where they're gracious enough to give us a final season and warning that it is a final season you know, uh, Jane the Virgin and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend both end this year, um, both end or have ended this year, and iZombie is about to start its final season. Oh, don't remind me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can talk about that next time. Um, (laughs) So from that respect, I'm, I'm kind of at peace in the same way because... I at least know that they're going to get to end it on their own terms. And I'm happy with that. I, so far, the, the CW shows that have had the opportunity to do that have, have felt satisfying to me. So I, I agree. You know, I felt at peace with it too. And I, I kind of had a sinking feeling that it was going to go that way because several interviews over the past few years, Andrew Dabb has said, yeah, I pitched some stories and that could take us through season 15. And yeah. season 15 has kind of been thrown out as an arbitrary um, soft ending for a while. And so I felt like that it might happen. So I was kind of ready for it and I wasn't totally distraught. Like I'm seeing some people that are distraught, but I wasn't. So I can relate. And and Supernatural, we're like a family. So I feel like it's not really, we're not really saying goodbye to anything. We're just saying, okay, see you later. Like, this is the ending of this chapter. Like, we're going to continue being a family as a group of fans. 
and right. still telling those stories and like reliving those stories. Like it's not going to end just because there's no more episodes. Exactly. And I, I think that Supernatural is one of those things like Star Trek where obscure characters from two different episodes are going to make livings at conventions to the end of time. <laughs> uh, you know, just because there's so many different ones and, and it's touched so many people's lives that it's never really going to die. Um, I'm a little disappointed that there's not been a spinoff by now, but I feel like the decision to end it the right way is all I can really ask for. And I'm kind of ready. I'm kind of ready to, to open up my Thursday nights and, and move on to something else. Well, and you talked about spinoff and I remember they had talked for a while about doing the spinoff with the women mm-hmm. and I got like really excited about that and then it didn't happen. And I was like, well, that's a bummer because that's a story that would be so cool to tell. Like, these badass females like doing the stuff that these brothers have been doing too. And it's like, all right, you missed your mark on that one, but okay, maybe it'll happen sometime. Right. And I think it might take a hole in their schedule for CW to say, man, we really screwed this up. We should have had a spinoff here. And for what it's worth, the backdoor pilot with the wayward sisters, I thought was incredible. It was uh, light years better than bloodlines anyway. Oh, yeah. um, so I think there's still opportunity there and I feel like maybe they could start developing shows that are in that universe and they wouldn't really be limited uh, if they do that because then they wouldn't have to insert it into Supernatural as a backdoor pilot. They could just explore it a little more. So mm-hmm. maybe it's the best thing for all people involved. So, with that said, since we know the show is ending at the end of season 15, season 14 is currently in progress. How do you feel like it's going? Um, kind of like what I said in my review this past week, it's kind of been up and down and all around. And, like, some episodes have been really good and some have been kind of, like, okay. And then some I don't even remember. Like, I have to go back and look. I'm like, oh, yeah, that happened. Right. Um. I will say one of the best things about this season has been that Michael and Dean storyline, because at the end of last season, when they had Michael possess Dean, I was worried it was going to go the same way as Demon Dean did like a few seasons ago where it lasted like 2.5 seconds and then it was over um, with like no development. And I was like, I want to see development with this. And so it's been great to see it carry over through most of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think you're absolutely right. They've they've hit the mark in some places and they've missed it in others. And some of it feels like they're a victim to a lot of shows that struggle with the same thing, which is these 20 to 22 episode seasons where they just have to fill X amount of time in between mm-hmm. plot points so that people will keep watching. And they fill their obligations to the network. And so I, I haven't felt like that as much with Supernatural lately, uh, but some other shows that I've reviewed in the past or that I still review uh, have felt that way, like like Gotham. Gotham really struggles with wheel spinning sometimes. So I, I definitely have felt some of that in this season. But I feel like at least 
the apocalyptic um, angels and demons and trying to bring the end of the world and Lucifer, that kind of story is when Supernatural is at its best. I mean, I mean, Lucifer in himself, like Mark Pellegrino is the best thing that happened to Supernatural. Like, I absolutely adore Lucifer and he's one of my favorite characters because he's so complex and so animated and adds so much to just a simple little line that you're just like, all right, I can get behind this. I can like believe this is really happening. And so when I, when they killed Nick, I was like, oh crap, we're not going to get Lucifer anymore. But this week, yes, we did. So it was great. It was great. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I want to talk more about theories on how this is going to go in a minute. Okay. But <laughs> since we're talking about the most recent episode, most recent episode, spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen it. Um, Samantha Smith's Mary Winchester brought back to life a few years ago was killed. The dust. <laughs> was officially bit the dust. Yeah. No pun intended. Uh, <laughs> Um, I literally, but anyway. <laughs> goodness gracious. Um, Mary I'm Winchester wrong. was quite literally obliterated by Jack, who couldn't control his emotions. So, I, I mean, I know you just wrote a review about this because you covered for me while I had a 100-degree fever and, and couldn't sit up for more than 10 minutes. Um, but tell us kind of how you felt about the exit in particular. Um... I was actually very emotional about it, which I found interesting because I was like, yeah, she's been a figure since the beginning of the show. I mean, hello, these guys got into it because she died up on the ceiling because of old yellow eyes. Right. Um, but it was interesting to me to see her mold as a, try to be a mother and a hunter at the same time mm -hmm. and try to like insert herself into her son's lives when she didn't really know them. And so like you kind of grew to love her. And so I actually cried a few times watching the episode because it was really sad to see all these connections that she made and all this, all these strides that she made as a person and to see that she made the ultimate sacrifice for her sons because Jack was still one of her sons. She saw Jack as her son and she knew he needed help. And so she allowed herself to be in that situation in the hopes that it would alert her other boys to what was really going on. And I found that was a very powerful way to end her story. And I felt like that was a very Mary Winchester way to end her story. Yes, I totally agree. I think Mary, when she first came back, didn't really feel like she belonged. Uh, and we see some of that in the, in the flashbacks that they, that they use. One of the things that got me the most was her flashback scene with Castiel. Uh, just because you know you know you're gonna have you're gonna see her flashback scenes with Jack and Sam and Dean, but with Castiel it just it just kind of wrecked me a little bit because it was that just added to how powerful it was you know she recognized this is my family now, and Castiel feels just as gutted by her loss as her boys do right. and that one that's one of the things that got me more than anything was Cassiel's reaction to it all. And I think 
you know, like I said, Mary was kind of having trouble fitting into the new world for a while. And she finally kind of found a groove. But when Cassiel went to heaven and checked in on her, I think that was probably the most cathartic moment for me just because he said, she's with John. She's at peace. I'm not going to disturb her. And uh, I thought that was incredible. Just, it felt so right for that to be the case. And I think that opens the door for us to see Mary and John again before the show is over because Mm. it wouldn't be the first time that the boys visited heaven. But overall, I thought it was a really fitting end. And I was surprised at how emotional it made me considering that character has literally died on that show already once. Right. They literally brought back a character to die again. And it still gutted me. Yeah. I wanted to also mention, you talk about Castiel and of course there's both Sam and Dean, but I want to really focus on Dean from that episode because like his, his flashback with Mary was silence. There was no words spoken. It was just a moment with her in the car. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that spoke volumes more than any of the other flashbacks. Personally, I thought that because I felt like this was Dean maturing and becoming a, a bigger person than he has been in the past where a loss like this in the past, like for example, when his father died, he like spiraled, he spiraled out, you know, almost out of control like he was very let me get revenge on whatever happened you know whoever did this to my dad you know like you know I have to seek revenge and this happens to his mother and he's just like he hears Castiel say well she's at peace and he just takes that and he's like okay I'm cool with that like he doesn't really say I'm okay like okay I'm at peace with that but like you could just see it in his body language and everything like like I said his silence spoke volumes he has really grown in the sense that he accepts things a lot easier now, I feel. Um, I don't know if you've noticed that, but that's definitely something I've noticed in the last few episodes. Definitely. Yeah. I've, I definitely noticed particularly in the moment you're talking about just because the Winchester, we lost somebody, but we have to get them back now just kind of came to an abrupt halt. You know, their usual reaction when they lose somebody like that is, I don't care what it costs. We have to get them back. Right. When Castiel says she's with John, she's at peace. It all just kind of goes, okay, you know, she's probably better off than we are right now. We don't need to bring her back into this. Can we also talk about the fact that they brought John back this season? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Talk about emotional. Uh, Just the unresolved daddy issues-ness of it all got me so worked up and I just, I thought it was a great way to bring him back and just, you know, their, their 13th episode of the season two years in a row has been absolutely fantastic. And last year, of course I'm referencing Scooby natural. So that's in a totally different way, (laughs) but um they've just absolutely killed it with some of these choices. And I was so excited that Jeffrey Dean Morgan came back and I really hope that they find a way to work him and Samantha Smith in before they call it quits. I hope so too, because I think that would be like, 
this season has really been bringing the show back to that image of family and that bond that created the show. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like to end it, they, it would be great for them to bring, you know, Mary and John back and to complete that circle of family once more. Yeah. And I I really think the final season will be a good opportunity for them to just uh, encore the heck out of people you know, just see how many people you can get back and do some kind of a weird cameo. And based on who's available, that's how you write your stories for half the show episodes in the final season. Because if you can get Sterling K. Brown back, wouldn't you do it? Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> so I feel like the final season could open all kinds of doors in that respect, but I'm just kind of excited to see what they do with it. So shifting gears just a little bit in my reviews, I've kind of been detailing some of my theories uh, Mm -hmm. for what's going to happen. And they've shifted as, as more episodes have come out and things have happened and things have changed. But one thing I thought was pretty constant is that ultimately this show's final season story is going to be another battle for the world. Stop Lucifer and my, and or Michael from destroying the earth. I agree. And so what's been really interesting is that, oh, you know, they brought over this other Michael and then Jack just like offs the dude, like it's nothing. And so, and then they, they hinted at Lucifer coming back, but he doesn't quite get there. And then Nick is supposedly dead now, but nobody says that on Supernatural. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) um, So what I think they've done is this is just a theory, but I think they've opened the door for a Jack to be a pivotal weapon in the Mm -hmm. apocalypse. And that's, what's going to make it harder than before because they've stopped him before, but they didn't have Jack. Right. So I think Lucifer and or Michael are going to have Jack at least at the beginning. And the tide is going to shift based on Jack. And I actually agree with that. I, um, with this past episode, with all the wheedling that Lucifer's been doing, I think in my review, I kind of like posed a question at the end about, is Lucifer going to be successful at managing to grab Jack's attention and to get him? Um, and I think that's going to be something that'll be interesting to see over the next couple episodes that we have left this season. Yeah, I think it's really interesting too, the way that they used Mark Pellegrino's Lucifer as a voice inside Jack's head. Um, like the, what they did with Sam in mm-hmm. uh, surrounding a similar story with losing a soul. Yeah. Um, just all the interesting parallels that come along with that has been really fun. Um, and I have one more prediction before, before the end of season 14, this current season, we will see, Adam Milligan, Earth, Earth Prime's <gasps> Michael, again. I'm calling it now. Oh, my God. Okay, so funny story about this. My roommate and I, like, discussed this, too, because her and I both watched Supernatural, and we were actually talking about, we're like, why can't they, why can't they bring Adam back? Like, they need to bring him back. Like, it's going to be very important, especially now that we have Michael, and we have, uh, well, we have other world Michael, and that we have Lucifer, and, like, why wouldn't we have this world's Michael? Like, that would be the ultimate battle right. if we could get that. Like, God, like, 
And just the whole parallels you were talking about with Sam and Jack and like the no soul and the Lucifer and the mind thing. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's going to come into play in the battle as well. Kind of similar to the way the battle happened. Um, What was it? What season was that? I forget. Was it what season did they fight each other as Michael and um, Lucifer? Five. Five. Like season five. I feel like that's coming to a head too. Like they're going to, do like a rematch of that, but in a different way with similar elements. Yeah, I agree. I think what's really been telling more than anything, what's been telling to me is that they've danced around the primary earth, Michael for a couple of years. They've had this other earth, Michael, they fought him, they defeated him. And they kind of danced around. They haven't talked about the Michael from, from their home. They've just avoided the subject. And so that says to me is that the creators are very aware and they're saving it. They don't want to hint at it too soon. Right. And so I, I absolutely believe that maybe in the last moment of season 14, but before the end of season 14, we will see that dude again. And I will be screaming at my TV and then messaging you (laughs) to scream at you. (laughs) So uh, those are my theories. Do you have anything else you want to add about the current season of Supernatural um, before we move on? Not really. I feel like we've kind of really um, dealt with every major point. Um, I do want to add that Rowena is one of the most badass Oh, on the planet <laughs> that's true um <laughs> you know one of my favorite moments with rowena this year was when it became apparent that she cared for the boys uh when she really pushed hard against jack using his mat using magic to save jack's soul and um or to burn his soul rather right there were a couple of scenes specifically where you could just tell Rowena cares about these guys and it was the craziest thing. Um, And it just goes to show you that everyone eventually falls in love with Sam and Dean because they're perpetually trying to do the right thing. Yep. But um, I think this season in particular has been a great one for Rowena. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Okay. So next our segment called, Infinite Playlist is a way for us to tell the world what we're consuming, why, and how to get in on it. So, Mary, simple question for you. What are you loving right now? Well, um, I don't know if you pay attention to my Twitter at all. Um, at DorothyNYC89. Totally plug in the Twitter. Um, I am obsessed with the show Shit's Creek. Um, I just started watching it a month ago, and I've already, like, completely caught up. And it's, like, <laughs> it's this otherworldly show where everything is positive and happy and joyful and nobody pokes fun at anybody in a negative way. Like all the jokes are kosher and they're not mean spirited at all. Like, and everyone can just live their lives and be themselves. And it's like, uh, I've been going through a really rough time this year um, with some personal stuff. And like, it was the show that's really kind of turned me around a little bit lately. So I, yeah, that's the thing I'm totally in love with right now. <laughs> that's great. Um, I love it when you can find a show like that. 
Yeah, and funny story, um, there's a supernatural connection to that show, actually. Um, one of the stars on the show played, um, do you remember the Ghost Facers episode where they went to that? <laughs> yes. Um, the bunker and the team, like, and then that kid was, like, totally in love with one of the Ghost Facer guys. Yes. So the kid, the guy who played the kid, is plays the character Ted on Schitt's Creek. <laughs> and it's just funny because I was like, you look familiar. And I looked it up. I was like, oh, it's Corbett. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Got a lot. Pretty much everybody has been on Supernatural. So if you look closely enough, you'll find a few of those. Yeah. But uh, I'm really glad that you found that. I have seen Schitt's Creek, but not a lot of it. I've seen a f- couple of episodes. I would get into this habit where I would start. Uh, working out, run, uh, riding an exercise bike, and watching TV while I did it. And so half-hour shows were a really good way to mark my mm-hmm. workouts. But I stopped doing that. I sold the exercise bike. And so I haven't gone back to it really since then. But you kind of inspired me to check it out. So you definitely should. If I was going to do that, it's on Netflix? Is that right? Um, so the first four seasons are on Netflix. Um, and season five just ended. And for me personally, I feel like season five was their best season. Um, they really talked a lot about, um, some issues that are very relatable and emotional and things that really matter right now. Um, but season five, you can find on the pop TV app or the pop TV website. Um, cause that's where it comes on is pop TV. Um, okay. But yeah, it's a, sure oh, it's a great show. And there's a lot of great LGBTQ representation on it. Like there's the, uh, a couple Patrick and David and their relationship is treated the same way Alexis and Ted's relationship is. Like you see random kisses on the street, you know, or in places nobody says anything. Like it's just there. And it's like, yeah. that's beautiful to me. Like, I love that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure that uh if you want to catch up on it, you could also probably like I have direct TV and they have a lot of shows on demand. Um so I'm sure that if you get You can also like uh, rent channel, it from Amazon. Yeah. You know. So before, while it, there's four seasons of it to watch while if you have never seen it um on Netflix and then if you get caught up quickly your on demand or the Pop TV app or something along those lines should get you to where you need to be. Yep. But I appreciate your recommendation and your enthusiasm. Well, is there anything you've been watching that you're in love with? or So I have barely had time with a pregnant wife and a toddler to watch a lot of stuff. But since I was sick, ironically, um, I started watching Killing Eve. Uh, which has been critically acclaimed and everybody's all up in arms about it. So I thought I'd check it out and I did find it really exciting. So I've only seen the first three episodes, but I'm into it so far. That's good. I, I haven't watched it yet either. It's on my list of things to watch. I still have to watch the five season five finale of the 100. Like I'm behind on stuff because I got sucked into my shit's Creek hole and I just didn't <laughs> So <laughs> that's okay. I also um just 
more of a shout out than anything, but season two of the tick was just recently released on Amazon prime. And that season one, I thought was fantastic. And season two is even better. So if you don't watch the tick, but you have Amazon prime, you should, it's a half hour show. So it'll come to you really easily. Um, there's only, there's a very short total number of episodes. I don't know what that is off the top of my head, but I was at San Diego Comic-Con in 2017 when they were promoting it. So I have a bunch of tick swag just everywhere because they were promoting it like crazy. And I even have a framed like tick poster in my man cave because uh, I think it's awesome. So I started watching Killing Eve and I also finished season two of the tick and season two of the tick is phenomenal. So either one of those I would happily endorse. Sounds great. <clears throat> okay, so moving on to our final special segment. Everyone bust out your ecto-coolers and dunkaroos. It's time for our segment entitled, I Heart the 90s, a celebration of media from in and around our favorite bygone era. So Mary and I tossed around a few topics to talk about, and what we ended up landing on was the first season of Rugrats, a show that we both watched when we were younger, um, which is all available on Hulu. And I have to say, watching Rugrats season one through a modern lens is really interesting. Yeah. Because for one, I'm a parent now. So for, all of these parents are terrible. <laughs> They're just not good parents. Yeah, they don't God awful. At all. <laughs> Um, gracious like watch your children for five minutes um but i also think it's really funny it's kind of an absurdist way to explore you know hey wait how did my kid get from here to here or how did my kid who can't quite walk yet get out of his playpen and into the dog crate or something random um you know and these parents just they don't put any thought into that but the whole show seems like kind of a a way to explain where these kids have been in a really absurd way, which I think is really funny. I also feel like it shows the ingenuity of children. Like they have children have like no fear when it comes to like figuring things out. Yeah. And Tommy definitely like embraces that. I mean, he has a screwdriver taped to the bottom of his, of his tray when he's eating his food so he can escape his high chair. I mean, it's, little silly things like that where as a teacher who works with babies and toddlers I see that kind of creativity at work all the time where a child gets stuck in a in a spot and they're like how do I get out of here oh wait I can climb let me just climb up am I gonna get hurt probably but I don't care like you know it's it's it was an interesting way thing to look at you looked at it from the pair perspective I look at it from a teacher perspective yeah and it just—I feel like we came to some of the same conclusions in a right. roundabout way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and I definitely recognized uh, the ingenuity, and also just um, approaching mundane things from a child's perspective, because they have such an attitude of wonder. Um, you know, they, they see things as much larger than life and more exciting than they really are. And I got a real sense of that throughout this season. Just the, you know, 
Reptar is just a character on TV to the adults, but Reptar is literally the most exciting thing to Tommy and Chucky and some of the others. So that's just one example. But I really like that sense of childlike wonder that they had Mm -hmm. uh, just because changing your perspectives is never a bad thing. And so as a parent and as somebody who's watching this show, you know, 30 years later, almost I'm able to see some of these, like the way that just, it's kind of, it's provides a fresh shift in perspective, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, I look, so when I was a kid, I hated Angelica. She annoyed the crap out of me. And as an adult, I understand why. Because she reminded me of my obnoxious older sister who would tell me what to do and how to do it. And she would scare the crap out of me just to make me cry. And it's just like, it's crazy when you like think of it. It's kind of like, I I don't know. As you grow, it's always cool to like go back and watch things or read things to get different perspectives um, because your viewpoint doesn't stay the same from being a child to being an adult. And so I loved going back to Rugrats because I was like, all right, why did I love this as a kid? And I still loved it as an adult. So I was like, clearly something was good. Right. And I remember loving it as a kid. Um, I didn't remember any of this very well, but the perspective as a parent is, is totally different just because you know as a kid I'm, i kind of can relate to the kids sometimes and i'm like oh these kids are younger than me but that's kind of funny that's cute um and now it's just like what is wrong with these parents um <laughs> but I, I also noticed some some interesting things like i didn't remember dd's parents at all i didn't either but they're in the first season like a lot yeah. At least, I mean, a lot for somebody that I didn't remember at all. And I felt like I'd seen, you know, a decent chunk of episodes over the, the run of the show. I, I definitely haven't watched the whole thing from beginning to end because I haven't gone about it in a, in a 21st century binge watch. But right. I remember Lou Pickles vividly and I remember all of the other parents, but Dee Dee's parents were in the first episode and I was like, who are they? And then they're in several more, which I thought was crazy. It's, so it's, it's good to, to refresh your memory on these things because you discover these. Uh, and also their characterization is interesting. Yeah. Um, they're very caricature of Jewish people. Like yes. it's not necessarily a good image of Jewish people. <laughs> right. Um, but it's definitely the stereotypical Jewish parents, um, you know, speaking in Yiddish and shoving food in your face and, you know, just all of that. And I was just like, it's funny because I have a best friend who's Jewish and it's just like, oh my God, this kind of makes me cringe a little. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think it's really interesting that you bring that up about caricatures because the show in terms of parents it's full of character caricatures lou pickles is a caricature he's a little more like um you know grandparents for people my age um 
would be you know the they the back in my day and uh, we walked mm-hmm. to school 15 miles in the snow barefoot um some of it was i mean it was <laughs> that that caricature is so overplayed at this point that it felt a little on the nose when he would say some of that stuff <clears throat> excuse me but you know um drew's wife charlotte is, is the same way she's a caricature of kind of a working mom stereotype and i think that Stu is a caricature too because of the way that he's my next big thing is gonna take off you know he's kind of a a hopeful inventor right he's got that that uh that hope and that childlike quality but it also on occasion you can see where the world might think less of him because of his chosen profession. Mm -hmm. So I think that to a point he's a stereotype too, because he's not, he doesn't, he's more focused on his next invention than his kids sometimes. And it shows that's kind of the whole one. I think to that extent, Dee Dee is one as well, because she's definitely that caricature of the stay at home mom who is way too involved in what the doctors and the experts are saying your child should be doing. And let's, let's reference the book before we actually do something with our child. Like it just, it very felt very on the nose for me with some of the parents that I deal with um, on a daily basis of those parents that work from home or live at or stay at home with their kids. And they're very like, talk to me and they're like, well, I don't want you doing it like that because this expert says that's wrong. And I'm just like, but that's not how your kid is. Like, okay, okay. I'm just going to shut up and let you talk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I think that the perspectives on adults just in general are there. They are caricatures, but I don't think it's done in a bad way. Mm -hmm. Some of it is feels a little dated just because, this came out in 1991 that what I was reading up on it and there's an unaired pilot that was filmed in night that was created in 1990. It wasn't filmed because it's a cartoon. Um, <laughs> but so the first episode aired in 1991. So it's been 28 years since this aired. And so some of it feels a little dated just in the sense that we've evolved as a society or hopefully we have. Um, we like to believe we have <laughs> on some things, I feel. And so um, showing these characters the way that they were in 1991, it probably felt pretty progressive or edgy for 1991 for a kid's mm-hmm. show. And now that it's been 28 years, it's just, oh, wow. You know, Lou Pickles is a stereotype World War II veteran grandpa. Um, and there frankly aren't many of those around anymore, but the stereotype lives on. Well, and, and then we should also think about Chuck, like Chuck was like breaking ground in 1991 because he was a single father and that wasn't something that was, that was shown on television really at all. And so to see him take care of Chucky all on his own, like that was really kind of cool and rad. And nowadays it's more common, but like, if you look at it from with a modern lens for 1991, that's really cool and really progressive of this show to do. Yeah, absolutely. So overall it's given me 
a really interesting perspective. Um, oh yeah, I was looking through my notes and uh, something else that Lou Pickles said that was so uh, <laughs> just so caricature was dead burn Democrats. It starts an episode that way. <laughs> he puts the newspaper down and says, "Dad burned Democrats." Um, <laughs> sorry, I just I was looking through. Um, and so, do you have a favorite episode from season one since you recently rewatched it? Um, I actually really liked the um, first one where the where they think that Tommy becomes the dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because because you just look at it from the child's perspective and you're like, well yeah, your kid your friend just went in the room and then a couple minutes later the dog walks out. Like what else are you supposed to think? Like, you know, it's like so cute. And I just loved episodes like that where it really, really honed in on the child's perspective versus the parent perspective. Um and yeah, and I think it's just the whole, you know, this is the beginning. This is the start of it all. Um, this is what drew us to Tommy, um, Phil, Lil, Chucky, and Angelica. Like, this is why we kept watching for, you know, however many seasons that show ran for. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's a great one. Um, so mine, I think, was – it sounds so dumb, but – as a dad, I always do dumb things. And the dumbest thing that any dad did on the course of, in the course of Rugrats season one um, was maybe when Lou and Stu dressed Tommy up as a girl and entered him in the pageant. <laughs> um, and I was just like, that, that is definitely something I would have at least considered. Um, and I'm a little ashamed to admit it. But anyone who knows me well listening to this would know that it's true, that I definitely would do something like that. Uh, and that made me laugh more than anything, just because it's like, they could have just entered Angelica and split it three ways with Drew. No, didn't think of that. Let's dress Tommy up as a girl. Uh, <laughs> absolutely insane. And I loved every second of it. Um, so there's only one other thing I wanted to mention, and it's dumb and random and obscure. But in episode 12, I don't even have a note on what was happening. But one of the voices in episode 12 was Pat Buttram. Are you familiar with that name? No. So Pat Buttram is, if you watch Disney movies from the 60s and 70s, he's a very common voice actor. Okay. So you might recognize him from things like the Sheriff of Nottingham from Disney's Robin Hood. And oh. he's one of the hounds in yes. Aristocats. Yes. So he's that soulful, twangy voice. Yeah, he sounds very much like a like a country one of his other bigger, more recurring roles, I believe, was on Bonanza. Um so turns out episode twelve of Rugrats was like the last thing he did before he passed away. Oh my God. So he, um, and it was one of the last things he did. And the last thing he did, I actually was the possum park guy on a goofy movie. Okay. So he passed away at 78 years old in the mid nineties, 
but he only had a few credits from the 90s and one of them was Rugrats season one episode 12 and another one was from the Goofy movie but I was listening to it and I said that really sounds like Pat Buttram and I just happened to be familiar with the name because he was the voice of several characters between Fox and the Hound, Aristocats, Robin Hood, um, several other Disney movies. And I believe he was a recurring character on Bonanza or Gunsmoke, one of the two. Um, And I'm not looking at his IMDb page right now, (laughs) but I just thought that was really interesting uh, as one of the, I like to make obscure connections like that. And so from time to time, I'll probably do that. Yeah, no, I, I, I do that too. I like to do that too, but um, honestly, um, when I was rewatching this, I was doing homework while rewatching. So like, I watched, but like, at some, I didn't really like make connections with voices and stuff. So it was kind of just me taking in the information. So I didn't even realize that I heard his voice. Yeah, um, and so that's crazy. Yeah, and I, I think I was uh, doing other things, probably editing other episodes of this podcast, and just happened to catch it you know, out of the corner of my ear. And his voice is distinct to me now because I grew up on movies like Aristocats and Robin Hood and and things like that. And now my child has been watching them. Right. It's kind of fresh in my mind. And it was just different enough in Rugrats for me to question it and look it up. And so since it was so close to the end of his career, the end of his life, uh, I thought it was worth mentioning. So do you have any other thoughts about Rugrats just in general? Um, I was actually surprised to find that the show holds up pretty well. I was a little nervous going into it because I was like, oh, I don't know. It's the 90s. Is it really going to be any good? Like, is the animation going to hold up? Like, am I going to get bored? But no, I was thoroughly enjoying myself the entire season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was surprised. I think some of the parental gaffes got to me a little bit. I was like, oh my gosh, this makes me so uncomfortable just as a parent who, and I'm borderline helicopter sometimes and just that I can't leave my child out of my sight for very long. Um, It's hard for me to let her play outside by herself for too long because I just get the doomsday scenarios play in my head. So (laughs) I, stew pickles, I could never be, but still it, it is funny. It holds up pretty well. Um, I was surprised at how good it looked even though it was um, created in 1991, it's obviously got some some date to it. But I think the colors work really well. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree. Another one of those little things that I noticed, because um, I sometimes pick up on random details, too. Mm-hmm. And one of them was, like, the first couple episodes, Tommy didn't wear his signature blue shirt. Yeah, he I noticed that, too. had on outfits and i was like what happened why did they suddenly just start putting him in just a random blue shirt like did they get lazy like what he turned a year old and they're like oh we don't have to bother anymore like (laughs) i as a parent i feel um i feel like i can speak to the fact that that really happens (laughs) you're just like uh you try to put him in cute outfits for a while and then it's like uh their private parts are covered they're fine Uh, So, you know, I, I feel like maybe that's the most realistic thing about Rugrats is that eventually they stop trying with his outfits. Yeah. No, I just, I found it really cool. And like, like I said, I love those like little details that I notice. And 
I pick up on those things. And sometimes things like that annoy my friends when I want to talk about shows because like that doesn't matter why why are you worrying about that like that's not important right. well it is to my brain <laughs> yeah mine are definitely geared toward um what obscure actors from the 60s and 70s is that but I, I'm totally <laughs> with you um so do you have any other thoughts um no not really I don't know if you had any but no not really no, I think um, I've pretty well covered it. Uh, to sum up, don't ever be a parent like the parents on Rugrats, but view the world the way the kids on Rugrats view the world. That's what I learned. And always carry a screwdriver. <laughs> always carry a screwdriver. That's exactly right. So uh, with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Mary, if people are going to follow you from this experience, um, they decided they'd really like what your thoughts and what they had to say, where can they find you on social media? So um, on Twitter, I am at Dorothy NYC 89. And same thing goes for my Instagram. Fantastic. Um, as always, you can follow me at on Twitter at Nikki A Hogan and I C K Y A H O G A N. Um, I'm working on getting a Twitter account set up for the podcast. Just haven't had time to do it. Um, this is our fourth episode. We've debuted our first three and the podcast is now available on the following platforms where you can get your podcasts, Google breaker, radio public, Spotify, pocket casts, Stitcher and anchor.fm where it's hosted. So any of those places you can find all of our existing episodes of the podcast and the new ones as they come out. Uh, hoping to be on the iTunes store soon. That's the next big one I'm hoping to get. Uh, but the rest of them I think are covered. So that about wraps it up. Thank you so much, Mary, for coming on. Anytime. I'd love to do this again. And I think that we will. Um, so you and I will just have to talk about what we're going to talk about next. And All right. Sounds great. <laughs> Thanks so much again, and uh, thanks everybody for listening.